Here's to the paper pushers, the rush hour warriors, and the gotta get awayers. Trade the daily grind for a place to unwind, where you can rise with the tide and roll down the boardwalk, where you can eat french fries for lunch and ice cream for dinner, where your only commute is your walk to the beach, where every day feels like Saturday. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. So today is the longest, shortest time's 200th episode. Congrats to us. So we're doing something a little different today to celebrate. I want you to meet our producer, Jackie Sajiko. You heard her a couple times before on the show, like the time we tortured her with the song Baby Shark for weeks. I'm in hell, do-do-do-do-do, I'm in hell. And in our episode about animal parenting, where she sang the mating call of wolf spiders. Huh. Weird, I didn't realize how much Jackie loves singing. Recently, she had some news to tell us at Longest Shortest Time HQ a.k.a. in a Google Hangout, where we video chat since we all work remotely in different cities. Just like a longer term kind of planning for like season three, Mm -hmm. I'm due to have a baby in August. (laughs) Jackie! (laughs) Congratulations! (laughs) We are so excited for Jackie. But funny story. Jackie used to feel really differently about becoming a parent. Like five years ago, right before Jackie got married to her husband, Malcolm, they taped an interview together. I'm recording now, by the way. Okay. (laughs) As podcast people, Um, we do stuff like that. So in this five-year-old interview, they talked about how they met, what their lives were like, and what their future together might be. And recently, Jackie found that interview, and she wanted to play a bit of it for her husband, Malcolm. So she sat down with him and turned on the recorder. Okay, wait, I want to play you some tape that I found from five years ago. Oh. I'm basically, like, terrified of being a parent in some ways, even though I love kids. Like, I have always wanted kids. But being a parent is so scary that I don't don't like thinking about it or talking about it because I'm afraid I'll jinx it. I think I've changed since then, and I'm curious what you think has changed. You have changed since then. I feel like the the folk wisdom is like that you just got hit by the urge. Does that strike you as what happened to me? No, but I don't know why you changed from feeling one way to feeling another way. Can I tell you what I think? Of course. I mean, like, you should, you obviously know more about yourself than I do. This is the longest, shortest time. I'm Andrea Salenzi. Our producer, Jackie, is going to take over from here and tell us what's changed for her. Here's Jackie. So I'm 31 weeks along right now. I'm having a girl. I'm not sleeping much. I'm getting kicked a lot. My hips hurt all the time. Physically, my pregnancy has been really textbook. But emotionally, it's been different than I expected. When I got pregnant, 
it made me think a lot about what it means to start a family and what it means for me to raise a half-Asian, half-white kid while not being close at all with my own family. Growing up, my parents were neglectful. In middle school, when my mom would pick me up, I usually ended up waiting for her for three or four hours in front of the cafeteria. We've always had a hard time talking to each other. When I was 10, they took me to get baptized, but didn't tell me what was happening until we were at the church. I'm estranged from my parents now. I stopped talking to them three years ago. My parents aren't going to be involved in my future kid's life, and I don't want them to be. But it scares me that I can't ask my parents for help or advice. And I'm scared that I don't know any other way to parent, that I'll repeat their behavior with my own kid. For a long time, I didn't have any other models for what a functional family could be like, until I met my husband's family. Malcolm was my second boyfriend ever. He was funny and never took himself too seriously. I remember being charmed by the fact that he was always absentmindedly singing to himself. He undertakes weird passion projects, like making up a holiday our friends celebrated for four years centered on bananas. We've been together for 12 years now, which totally blows my mind. Is me getting pregnant and, like, being about to have a baby, how does that compare to us getting married? Us getting married was like nothing. And I I mean that in the nicest possible way. (laughs) We had been in a relationship for seven years when we got married, and there was no change in anything. But the baby is like, yeah, that's a whole other thing. I mean, like, it's going to change everything about our relationship. This is like the first major thing we've done together since we became a couple. Are you excited to be a dad? I'm so excited to be a dad. I can't even think of anything to say except I'm excited to be a dad. (laughs) But I am. I've been getting super excited to watch the baby like mentally develop and do all those tests. We're going to do the reflex tests at the beginning. We're going to do object permanence tests, problem solving. Oh my God, it's going to be so much fun. I love that you sort of talk about the baby like she's a science experiment. She she is. He's kidding, but Malcolm is a biologist. He told me the other day that he can't wait to teach the baby about evolution. When we were talking about baby names, Malcolm and I decided that we'd give the baby my last name, Sujiko, as a middle name. And we'd give her his last name, Rosenthal, as her last name. We both agreed she should share a last name with the side of the family she was going to be closer to. The first time I really hung out with Malcolm's parents, we'd been dating for four months. I came with him on a family vacation in Maine. His entire extended family was there, and so were several of his dad's best friends from college. Totally not intimidating at all for me. I desperately wanted Malcolm's family to like me. In the evenings, over drinks, they would sit around and just talk and tell stories. Like the time Malcolm's grandfather convinced Malcolm's grandma to steal a hotel ashtray. Or the time Malcolm's dad, Paul, had a roommate who was convinced Paul was an actual vampire. My family never did this, so Malcolm's family felt kind of magical to me. Three years later, when Malcolm got into grad school, the first people he told were his parents. Around the same time, I got a radio internship, and the first people I told were Malcolm's parents. I actually lived with them during that internship. I feel like I remember my mom saying something like, you know, if you break up with Jackie, we're still going to hang out with her. (laughs) Like, you had a relationship with them that wasn't just about me. And you'd spent time with them, not just because I was there. Like, you had memories and experiences with my family 
that were about you and them. In fact, one of my first reactions when I hung up the phone after Malcolm called to say you were engaged, I said to Paul, we get to keep Jackie. You know. (laughs) This is Malcolm's mom, Claudia Fogelin. When I lived with her and Malcolm's dad, Paul, I'd come home from work. Paul would peek his head out of the kitchen and ask how my day was. We'd have dinner together most nights. I even went to Malcolm's sister's high school graduation. Living with the Rosenthals, I felt like I fit in somewhere for the first time. It turns out this might also be a Rosenthal tradition. My mother-in-law, Claudia, once joked with me that Rosenthal men attract women with complicated relationships with their families. But I've never really asked her how real that joke is for her and for Malcolm's aunt, Eileen, who also married into the Rosenthals. How are you feeling? Oh, really good. The baby kicks enough to wake me up now at night, so. Oh, yeah. That's Malcolm's aunt, Eileen. Eileen is at least twice as cool as me. When I was in college, she was the person who told me about the band Vampire Weekend. I've always thought Eileen and I were kind of similar. She's a worrier, like me. And at Rosenthal gatherings, which tend to be full of big personalities, she's always a little bit quieter, also like me. And, like me, she found a refuge with the Rosenthals. When Eileen finished college, she moved to New York, and her career as a graphic designer started taking off. But her parents didn't care. My parents didn't really think about women having careers, which is pretty old-fashioned, but that's just the way all of their friends were, too. Her parents cared more about when she was going to get married and start a family. Being a single career woman was not an option. I would have been poor Eileen, and they would have been ashamed. When I was still talking to my parents, the first thing they would say when they called was, are you pregnant yet? When I called the Rosenthals, they would ask how work was going and what Malcolm and I were doing that weekend. And the Rosenthals did the same for Eileen. Whenever Eileen visited, her mother-in-law always took Eileen out on her own. We'd have lunch together or something like that so that we could talk, which was really nice. I feel like she was making an effort to have a relationship with her daughter-in-law. I mean, the Rosenthals were really ready to, just in terms of me, to take me in. Eileen, my sister-in-law, says the same thing. You really don't just marry the man. You marry the whole Rosenthal family uh, and the way they are. I loved it. (laughs) That's Claudia, my mother-in-law. Claudia never felt at home at home. She grew up just outside Princeton, New Jersey, hated the suburbs. She always wanted to move to New York, which she did right after college. My mother was an intense warrior. Everything was a great worry for my mother. Which is the opposite of how I would describe Claudia. Things always seemed like a joy for her. She was once nicknamed the party machine after she accidentally started a parade down Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Claudia met her in-laws four months after she started dating her future husband. We met them at their hotel and had drinks in the lobby. And then we went to a fancy restaurant. Does that sound like a very Rosenthal evening to you? Yes. (laughs) By this point, we were already living together. Um, To move in with Paul, I had to give up my cat because he was so allergic. Doris, my mother-in-law, said, it must be very difficult for you to give up the cat. And Paul said, yeah, but the cat only had a litter box and I have an apartment, which I didn't think (laughs) placed me in a particularly good light with... (laughs) (laughs) Were you mad about that? Um, No, not really. I certainly didn't know it at the time, but they're such amiable people that they thought that was funny. And laughter is an important component of everything they do. So Claudia Party Machine Fogelin, 
fit in great with the Rosenthals. And it turns out the party machine made a great parent, too. We had so much fun with our babies and raising our kids. And it wasn't always easy, but even as an infant, like having tea the day we brought home Malcolm. Yes, really. We had determined that we weren't going to change our lives much. And we knew that was ridiculous. But we decided that what we would do the day Malcolm came home is right after he arrived, we had tea. (laughs) And Paul had bought pastries from our favorite bakery, which is no longer around. And we had tea and sat in the living room and had nice pastries and listened to Noel Coward records. (laughs) (laughs) Claudia and Eileen have both made the kinds of family that can just sit around and talk to each other. Something I always wanted growing up. I remember you at your first Thanksgiving. I mean, it was like 14 people all yelling at each other. And so you did the only reasonable thing was you you recorded it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know what I did with that tape. Oh, I'd hate to think. It's probably unlistenable. (laughs) Sometimes being around them is like being in a competition to see who can be the wittiest the fastest. There are times when we'll race each other to make the same joke, usually a Marx Brothers reference. The first time I won with a peanuts to you, I felt like I'd really become part of the Rosenthal's. You should definitely consider me your aunt, not your, like, half-aunt or uh, aunt by marriage. I am, sweetie, I am your aunt. Aw. Okay? (laughs) And I think this kid's going to have a heck of a good time. I hope she she likes it. (laughs) I hope she's not like me looking for something else. (laughs) Do you think I'm going to make a good mom? Oh, my, I think you're going to make an amazing mother. I think you really are. I mean, just, I think you're going to... Treat this child the same way as you treat Malcolm and Maggie and me and Paul and Mark and Eileen and all the other people you have deep positive relationships with. I mean, isn't that your kind of your plan? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is the plan. That's the plan. Sometimes I get a little jealous about the kind of charm childhood Malcolm had. And as close as I am with them, I know I can't expect my in-laws to replace my parents completely. I do feel really lucky that my in-laws have become family to me. I can talk to them about a lot of things, but I can't talk to them about everything. There's other parts about being a parent that I'm still trying to figure out. For instance, how to help my future daughter feel connected to her Asian heritage. But there is someone else I can talk to. I kind of want to be dad bros with Malcolm. This is my old college friend, Matt, who already can't wait to take the baby off my hands someday while he's hanging out with my husband. I'm not a dad, right? But I look forward to, like, That weird situation where it's just, like, two dudes trying to figure out how to take care of a baby. You know, that classic movie, Two Dudes Trying to Figure Out How to Take Care of a Baby? It's actually got this surprising B-plot about one of the dudes and the baby's mom, who are both Asian-American, talking about how he might end up being the closest Asian person the baby's going to know and what that's going to mean for the baby. Stay with us. Say advertisement. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. 
Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. We're back. So when Malcolm and I planned our wedding, we asked our friend Matt to officiate the ceremony. Matt's one of my oldest friends. We met in college, where he was getting two degrees, one in art history and one in Baroque flute. Yes, that is a real major. At the wedding ceremony, he dressed as a Puritan minister, with robes and a period-accurate clergyman's collar that he actually got made in colonial Williamsburg. In the months leading up to the wedding, I spent weeks agonizing over whether or not to invite my family. In the end, I did. But while I was thinking about it, Matt was the only person who told me I didn't have to invite them if I didn't want to. I knew just based on, you know, having been your friend for so long that your family was a source of stress for you. And I just wanted you to be happy in that moment. When I told Matt I was pregnant, he surprised me by saying, oh my God, I'm so excited to be this kid's gay Asian uncle. I mean, I, I'm not particularly, like, into the idea of having kids myself. Um, but the idea of, like, you having kids for some reason fills me with glee. Um, <laughs> Do you see, like, a job description for an uncle that you'd be filling? <laughs> I think in terms of being an uncle, like, look, I just want to be there to help you guys raise your child if that's something that you need and want. Like, you know, if we ever live in the same city and you need someone to pick her up one day, like, I'm happy to do that. Like, I would love to take your child to a museum one day. I would love to be the cool uncle who, like, brings the awesome birthday or Christmas gift. You know, to, to be a kind of meaningful presence in this child's life. Being estranged from my parents means my future kid won't have Asian grandparents which leaves teaching her about the Asian side of her family totally up to me. And honestly, I'm worried that I'm not going to be very good at that. When I met Matt in college, I was around more Asian kids than I'd ever been before, which is saying something because my college was actually pretty white. But it was the first place I'd ever experienced people explicitly talking about what it means to be Asian American. I remember in college a lot of Asian-American kids who grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods or suburbs or who didn't grow up with a lot of Asian people around them, like, kind of freaked out. I was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Savannah, Georgia. My dad is Filipino and my mom is Chinese. I was one of maybe five Asian kids in my entire school. I never learned to speak Tagalog or Chinese. My family didn't hang out with other Asian families. Most of my aunts and uncles live overseas. I've only met them two or three times. The closest thing I had to a connection to the Asian-American community as a kid was going to the Vietnamese market to stock up on pork sung, 10-pound bags of rice, and shrimp chips. Matt grew up in San Francisco. He and his parents lived upstairs from his grandmother. His aunts and uncles and cousins all live nearby and came over to visit regularly. 
Matt's mom sent him to a preschool in Chinatown outside of their mostly white neighborhood, so he'd be around other Asian kids. It was an experience I didn't have, and it was something I wondered if he'd want to talk about with my kid. I guess that that is something that I would want to have for your daughter, that she has a sense, even if it's kind of more generally an abstract, that there is this kind of immigrant legacy that she has. And whether or not she knows that particular history of your parents or grandparents, you know, coming to the United States, I would love for her to know that there is a recent immigrant experience that is part of her history. That's really important for me because I think that has really changed the way that I see myself. You said it changed how you thought of yourself? Yeah. There was this tweet that was going around a couple of months ago. It was something like, we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. And I think that that's kind of true in my sense. Like, it was my grandmother who was like a union seamstress. My grandparents, when they arrived here, I don't think that they could have imagined that their grandchild would be getting a PhD from Harvard. That must have been unfathomable to them. I think knowing that history is important, not because I want to feel guilty or somehow obligated to, you know, my grandparents, but because it makes me grateful for what I have. And I would hope that your daughter would have that too. And again, grateful not in like, oh no, I have to feel so guilty, but because like it it gives you a profound sense of like the larger historical forces that like produced you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like weird thinking about like how I want her to be connected with like the larger history, but like maybe she's not necessarily going to be connected to like a personal yes. history. And I'm like trying to be, I guess, figuring out, yeah, being okay with that. Can I ask you something? <laughs> yeah. I've seen this happen with a lot of like new parents when they have a kid. Like all of a sudden they get really, really into like their family history and their particular cultural heritage. Uh-huh. Do you think that like having this daughter will cause you to all of a sudden like get super, super into Asian American politics and, you know, identity debates and like, you know, you're going to send her to Chinese school or, you know, things like that? I don't, yeah, I've been thinking about that. I'm still figuring it out. It's, But it is like I've actually like genuinely considered like would I want to send her to Chinese school? Do I want her to know how to speak Chinese or Filipino yeah. or when I like I myself don't actually speak Chinese right. so I'm like is that weird that I like want that for her like I also worry that like I'm gonna like make her do all the things that I feel like I missed out on right are you worried that she's going to miss out on something yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> I I mean I feel like I missed out on some mm-hmm. stuff I I always feel like I'm, like, not Asian enough. I think that's the thing that's been giving me the most anxiety is, like, I really want to, like, minimize how much identity crisis she has because I had a lot of it. Yeah. I don't want that for your daughter. Like, I want your daughter to grow up with a really firm sense of, like, self and comfort with who she is. And that may be very complicated, but (laughs) I would hope that your daughter grows up around people who help her acknowledge and come to terms and celebrate, like, every part of her identity. Yeah. 
right? Whether that's like Malcolm's side of the family and their immigrant experience or like whatever kind of Asian American experience we can cobble together for her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And maybe this is something that I kind of look forward to sharing with her. Like, I don't know if I'm going to have kids or not, but, you know, when I was younger, my, I remember my dad taking me around his old neighborhood in and around Chinatown and being kind of bored with that history. I was maybe 10 or 11 at the time. But now I realize how valuable knowing that history is and, you know, being able to locate where my dad and my aunts and uncles grew up. And that is like a history I would love to share with your daughter. I mean, you can always take her on walking tours wherever you want. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm an architectural historian, so like she's going to have to get used to that. You know, this is potentially the kind of most Asian-American thing you could do to to like deputize me as her uncle. (laughs) Because this happens all the time with my grandmother. Like I remember in high school, I would come home and my grandmother would be sitting in her living room with this like random older lady. And... You know, I'd say, hi, Grandma, and she would go, oh, you know, hi, you're home from school. Like, um, say hello to your auntie. And I I had never seen this woman before in my life. (laughs) Everyone is an auntie or an uncle. Yeah. And so developing, right, these extended family structures. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm just, like, perpetuating these, like, family structures. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that, like if I am made that child's uncle, right? Like all of a sudden that child has created an entirely new family structure, like not just for you and Malcolm, but like kind of for me as well. What backstory do you want? Um, I, I think I'd like for her to, to know that like I'm someone who you've just known for a really long time and who is part of the family. Yeah. I'd like that too. You you won't ever be the rando who shows up in the house and she'll be like, who is this? <laughs> Good. I'm really glad. A few weeks ago, Matt texted me a fun fact. In the 18th century, pregnant women were often described as being ships at sea, not only for their size and the nausea, but also because of the perils and unpredictability of pregnancy. In the seas in front of my ship, there'd be a few icebergs looming ahead called estrangement and grief and a deep-seated anxiety about my ability to be a good parent. I've known about them for a long time, but I only told Malcolm, my husband, about them recently. Don't go away. (laughs) Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. 7th Generation Laundry Detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea. Totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation Laundry Detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Welcome back. When I was a kid, I couldn't ask my parents for help with anything. With math homework, with learning to drive, with fights with my friends. I had to figure out a lot of stuff on my own, 
And because of that, I always felt like I was never getting it quite right. So when I imagined having a kid, I always saw myself as the only parent, totally responsible for not screwing up. All my feelings about being good enough as a person spilled over into being good enough as a parent. It wasn't until after I got pregnant and after I started telling friends and family the news that it dawned on me that I wouldn't be raising a kid alone. There were all these people in my life who were excited I was having a kid and who wanted to know her and be a part of her life. It was the first time I saw all the people who are the family I have now. I wanted to tell Malcolm about my big, delayed epiphany. I thought he would be surprised, but he wasn't. That also would be why I didn't notice this change, I think, because, like, those are things that I have always felt. Like, I knew my family would be there for us and excited to have kids, and I knew that you had a circle of friends. You, I mean, you always talk about being surprised that people like having you around. And the thing is that, like, people love having you around. <laughs> like, you're a lot of people's favorite person. They really like you. And, like, tons of people have your back. This is just a really good way to, like, give, get people to give me compliments. This is just a trick. This is just all a trick for three therapy sessions where you just get, like, <laughs> ego boosts. <laughs> Can I tell you the weirdest thing about being pregnant? For the past seven months, I've been obsessed with Malcolm. I can't stop hugging him. When we're watching TV on the couch when he's cooking dinner, when he's been out of the room for literally five seconds. I tell him how pretty he is at least three times a day. It feels like that crushy feeling I had when we first started dating. It's a lot. Probably hormones? Being pregnant has highlighted all the things Malcolm has to pass down and all the things I don't have. When I told him about my anxieties, especially about not being able to teach our kid about being Asian-American, he told me he had a really similar fear. I mean, I feel that about my, my Jewishness a lot, because I am only nominally Jewish. And that is a culture which I feel very much on the edge of. And wondering, like, is there something I could give my kid that would be the passport to this so they can experience it completely without being an outsider the way I am? And the realization I've come to that was very freeing is, no, <laughs> there's not. Like, our kid is not going to be Jewish. And there's nothing to be done about that. And it's also not a loss. It's just that they're a different person than I am, and I'm a different person from my dad. And that's totally fine. The more we talked, the more I realized what we'd be passing down wasn't strictly an Asian identity or a Jewish identity or even just the Rosenthal identity. It's this Malcolm and Jackie identity. Our kid is going to be part of something bigger and a culture. It's going to be part of our family. And you're a part of that, too. My whole childhood has been, like, mythologized at this point, which is something we talk about a lot. And that's the culture we're passing on to our kids. Like, I can't tell you how much of my childhood memories are about the stories of my parents and the things they did together before I was born. Think about how many stories come from my dad's college experiences and how important those were for, like, my upbringing. We have those stories because we also went to college. <laughs> And we were together at the time, so, like, they're really about our family. Like, our college experiences, our experiences during the freaking, like, 10 years that we lived together before having a kid, those are all in there, and those are, like, about you. Oh, like, the kid will have, like, stories about us? Yeah, us and the, and the kind of family we are. So they're going to get all that good stuff. That's true. Yeah, I guess I, I, I didn't account for, like, me. I like that. Good, I like it too. <laughs>
I'm two months away from my due date now. I'm still nervous about a lot of things, like what birth will be like, if our kid will be healthy, if she'll like us. But mostly, I haven't been able to stop thinking about what our family will be like after she's born. I'm excited for the family traditions we'll make up, like Malcolm making surprise waffles on Sundays, me teaching her to make adobo, and Malcolm teaching her to collect spiders in the middle of the night. I'm excited to hear our kids sing songs to herself and to realize I've accidentally taught her to sing the theme from Jurassic Park. Because I do that all the time. Do, 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 I'm excited to tell her about the time Malcolm and I got trapped in an empty restaurant on our first date. And for her to say she's heard it a billion times already. Can I also say, I'm also like super excited to watch you become a mom. I don't know if I've said that before, but I like you're you're going to be such a cool mom. And like sometimes I get images in my mind of you like nursing the baby or carrying the baby around or like teaching the baby to do cool things, showing the baby how to draw. You know, you have these meals you cook for us now. And I just think about in the future when you cook the when you cook these meals for the baby. And that makes me super excited, too, because it's like a new way to see you. Also, it's like a new way to be in love with you, which I'm super excited about. <laughs> I mean, no, I think that's true. I mean, like, I feel that way about you. Like, I'm excited to see the way that you interact with this kid and the way that you're going to be a dad and, like, surprise her or spoil her or, like, teach her things. When I got pregnant, this is the order of people I told. Malcolm's family, Matt and all my closest friends, people at work, my landlord. I decided a few months ago that I was also going to tell my parents. I didn't want to feel like I was keeping a secret from them. I emailed them the news two weeks ago. I'm still grieving the relationship I don't have with them. That's what therapy is for. But I am less scared that I'm not enough for my own kid anymore. Also tell them about the the cake thing that's been happening. That I want cake all the time. Yeah, at like 10 p.m. (laughs) Did you say tell them? Tell the world (laughs) about this cake thing where you're like... I need a cake. It's like 11.30 p.m. I seriously, I know this is off topic, but like the cravings thing, I had always assumed that was just a trope, a stereotype, like a a fun fake thing that we culturally talk about as happening during pregnancy. And it is super not. That like actually happens. Jackie is due in August. and She's going to be taking leave for a few months. We just hired a temporary producer to take her place. And I was thinking to send you off right in addition to everyone sending you more cake, what would you want to hear from our audience? What would be helpful for you? Oh, I would love to know how people have made their own family culture. Like, what do you do that no one else does? That makes me think about our guest last week, uh, Myra Jones-Taylor. She told me that every holiday and birthday, she asks her kids to just write her a letter. And then she keeps all the letters, they're like on computer paper in a binder. And there's no gifts, which is a handwritten letter. What's better? I love that. I want to steal that. Yeah, so give us ideas that we can steal in the comments for this episode. That's episode number 200. Just go to longestshortesttime.com, and we have some cute pics of Jackie and Malcolm and all the Rosenthals up there as well. This episode was produced by me, Jackie Sujiko, with Andrea Salenzi. Our editor is Amy Drostowska. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. Hillary's new book, Weird Parenting Wins, is out now. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov. 
We get editorial support from Peter Clowney, Antonia Akatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time, we're going to travel into the future with our imaginations and imagine all the things that are to come for family planning. Like, will we someday have pregnant astronauts? Will we grow babies in artificial wombs? I don't know, it seems kind of like matrixy. Like, you know, where you go and there's like pods and the baby comes out of the pod. We're going to talk about all these different possible futures. Likely, unlikely, ideal, and not ideal. Don't miss this episode. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher, wherever you're listening right now. And as always here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your stories about survival. I'm sure some of you have been home alone or lost in a shopping mall or made an animal friend in the woods behind your house, survived on berries. We love these stories. Please keep them coming. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story. FYI, I'm getting kicked right now (laughs) while this is happening. Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide.